Good morning. My name is Ann Fletcher. I'm the chair of East Shore's search committee. On their behalf, I extend a warm welcome to everyone this morning from the East Shore Sanctuary. I'm imagining all of you sitting out there. I have a good imagination, and that really helps. And someday we will be back together. The search committee is so grateful and pleased with the participation in the survey, the cottage meetings, and beyond categorical thinking workshop. This service will celebrate the concepts from that workshop. I would like to welcome Amanda Schuber, the UUA facilitator for the Beyond Categorical Thinking Workshop, which took place virtually this last Friday evening and Saturday morning. She will participate in the service and give the sermon. We are so happy to have you, Amanda. It is a joy to be with you today and yesterday and the day before that. Um, I have loved getting to know your congregation, and I am thrilled to share some more with you today. I have two mommies, she proudly exclaimed, in that resounding voice that only a toddler can master. The kind of voice that demands attention and seems to have that permanently broken volume control. There, standing in the grocery checkout line early on a Saturday morning, my then two-year-old daughter, Nora, had once again decided that the friendly cashier who had merely asked her an innocent question of how old she was, obviously really was asking if this cherub-faced toddler had a mommy and a daddy. This scene had played out numerous times over the preceding weeks. In the bank line, the shoe store, the doctor's office, Nora seemed to be wholly possessed by this particular fact of her life and felt inclined to share that news with anyone who dared within 30 feet of her. As every time before, the scene proceeded much like a scripted play. The cashier's smile skewed a bit. She got confusion all over her face. She looked at me searching for answers and said, what did you say, honey? And like every time before, I quickly jumped in. You know, toddlers, who knows what she said? I swear, I can barely understand her half the time. My, what a beautiful ring you have on. Only this time, this time was different. This time, my sweet daughter sat in the cart at eye level in front of me, and this time, I could not help but catch her gaze and see the confusion and the shame starting to take root there. This time, I felt the anguish of a parent realizing that I had just taught my child a lesson that I instantly wished I could take back. In that moment of rapid diversion, that verbal sleight of hand, the redirection of a potentially uncomfortable confrontation, I had taught my daughter to be ashamed of our family. I had taught her fear. I had taught her the beginning steps of a dance that I swore to protect her from. 
I had made a quick decision to neatly pack up that moment in a box, tie it with a pretty ribbon, one that made my existence as both a parent and a lesbian easier for the world to digest or better yet, just ignore it altogether. Now, from the earliest of ages, we're taught to put things into categories. Any Sesame Street fan or parent or grandparent of a Sesame Street fan knows the song. One of these things is not like the other. One of these things just does not belong. I have been here this week to help you think about who belongs here or there with you in your pulpit. I've been here to help you unpack your boxes and see what is held and what may be hiding inside of them. Now, first, you should know a little bit more about me. I grew up in Alabama, the first grandchild in a very large, very proper Southern family. I was brought up to be attentive to all the best Southern graces. I can still set a formal table with my eyes closed. I attended college. I was active in my community, and I performed in voice theater and concert symphony. I was the apple of my family's eye, and I sat on a pedestal that was not only high, but precariously grounded in my ability to do no wrong. And for God's sake, do not embarrass the family in any way. Needless to say, My fall from that pedestal was a long but quick descent. I was 22 years old when I came out as a lesbian and gay rights activist on CNN. Yeah, you heard me right. CNN, your source for up-to-the-minute news. Now, I will admit that my decision to give an interview to a local TV station at the annual Gay Pride Festival in Birmingham, not one of my brightest decisions. But admittedly, I had no way of knowing that CNN would pick up the feed. And furthermore, how was I to know that some aunt three times removed would happen to be watching at that very moment and promptly pick up the phone to call my very conservative grandmother? The fallout was not pretty. My mother had known my secret for a while, and being the wonderful woman she is, had really only ever been concerned with my safety and happiness and well-being. I wish I could say the same for the rest of my family, who for nearly 12 years felt betrayed, ashamed, and horribly embarrassed. Now, I'm happy to say that after time and great-grandchildren, Things have greatly improved in my family, and they now accept me and love me and my partner and our children with open arms, at least in private. I had only unpacked my identity in a very limited way for my family. I allowed them only to see the pieces of me that I thought they could handle. They only saw the proper, well-mannered, always amenable, and eager-to-please side of me. It could be argued that if they had dug a little bit deeper and looked a little bit harder, or quite possibly if I had felt just a little bit safer, the other sides of my life would have shown through. They would have found another side of me, another aspect that makes me uniquely who I am. But once 
once they were allowed to see the parts of my life that identify me as a lesbian, all other accomplishments and identities were lost in the glaring background of what they saw as my difference from them. Gone were all the accomplishments in theater. Gone were the hundreds of volunteer hours that earned me scholarships to college. Gone was my identity as the beloved grandchild. All were replaced with an otherness and an inability to see me as a whole person. Emerson wrote, people only see what they are prepared to see. And it's a sad reality, my friends, that our lives seldom prepare us to challenge what we think we know. On New Year's Eve 2000, I came out to a former roommate and college friend, and for the next year, she would introduce me as, this is my lesbian friend, Amanda. I could never quite decide if that pronouncement was a badge of honor or a tidy warning label. Now, I believe that fair is fair. So I ventured to introduce her by saying, this is my Jewish friend, Sarah. She was clearly confused. And after a few minutes, she started to understand the problem. But I think you can probably see my point here. Even though she had known me for years prior to my coming out, by labeling me, she had created a social shorthand, boxing me up neatly to give social cues to the rest of the world. And she had also unintentionally stripped me of all of my other identities. Now, I'm confident that there's not one person in this room today that is one-dimensional. We've all spent our lives trying on new identities, casting off those which we outgrow and evolving into who we are today, in this moment, in this space. We've learned how to package up our identities and when it is necessary and far too often only when it is safe to unpack those identities for the rest of the world. There was a man in my life for a time, Eli, who taught me a great deal about the fluid nature of categories and identity. When I met Eli in college, I knew him as Sarah. Over the course of several years, Sarah started to fade away and Eli emerged. Now identifying as a transgender man, Eli walks through the world on the cusp of identity. Many of the people he comes into contact with remain confused by his sometimes murky gender presentation. A presentation that often challenges the social constraints of male and female People are often afraid of what his identity means to their own understanding of self. And he spends a great deal of time looking for a workable balance, constantly navigating boxes that are far too small. And standing as witness to this transition of identity, I still see in Eli the person I knew so long ago. There remains a passion for music, an unparalleled love of Alabama football a quirky sense of humor, and an uncanny ability to remember one-liners from extremely bad movies. But regardless of what pieces of his life remain unchanged, the need to simplify his gender identity and put himself in a box that others can handle consumes much of his energy. 
although our lives have long since gone in separate directions, during the many years that Eli and I dated, his physical transition from female to male caused great concern among people who knew me as a lesbian. The inevitable question was always the same. And it was searching for the same thing. So are you straight now? To this day, I remain confounded by the need to label me in that way. And the first question that always sprung to my mind is, so does it really matter? What I've shared with you this morning is a mere fragment of my story, a small snapshot of a lifetime. My identity has shaped me. It's hindered me at times, and it has compelled me to be a beyond categorical thinking facilitator. My experiences with identity constantly reaffirm my belief that it is essential to hear each other's stories and to understand each other's truth, to meet people where they are, lest we fall into the trap of boxing them up for our comfort. As I buckled her into her car seat on that Saturday morning, Nora spoke for the first time since I had hurriedly redirected the cashier's attention. I have two mommies. She said it in a near whisper. And as I looked at the sapphire blue eyes that mirror my own, I could not help but feel the tears well up. I shook my head in affirmation, afraid that my voice would betray me. And I laid my forehead to hers our shared gesture of affection since her birth. My mommies love me very much. She said it with that assured confidence of one who will never be swayed. Yes, I said, very much. And it was there from the heart of a child demanding to be acknowledged for her story for her identity separate from my own that I was reminded again that this work never ends. The boxes that we pull behind us, the boxes we struggle to break out of, the boxes where we seek refuge must never be allowed to be the sole measure of our identity. There's not a box big enough to contain our messy lives or our ever-changing identities. This weekend, I have asked you to look inside your boxes, to dig deep into the dark and scary places, to stretch, maybe to even bust a few seams here and there. I asked you to share some of your stories, to witness the transformative power of really knowing someone beyond labels, beyond categories, and most certainly beyond boxes. It is my prayer that you will continue these conversations and build a beloved community that cannot ever be contained in a mere box. Amen. Blessed be and ashe.